The Start. On Demand. demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We had a very special guest on the show today. You are going to hear a conversation with the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, joining us live today on 680 CJOB. Also, we want to replay a part of a conversation that happened on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham about a politician who masterfully dodges every single question that Richard asked him. We are going to head to Ontario, where the Premier, Doug Ford, wants to effectively dismantle Toronto's City Council. Then we're going to go to Humboldt as they get ready for their first home opener since that tragic crash that killed so many people. Mondetta. Remember Mondetta? That brand is making a comeback with its flagship flag sweaters. And make sure you stick around for the end of the podcast. We have a special concert announcement for you. McGarry, McNabb on 680 CJOB, the sounds of O Canada. Loren, as we welcome a very special guest. Yeah, the Prime Minister lands in Winnipeg this morning and on his agenda, a meeting with Manitoba's Premier. Trade, carbon pricing, cannabis, they're all on the table and they're all issues that in some cases have pit the leaders on opposite sides. But before Prime Minister Justin Trudeau boards that plane for Winnipeg and that meeting, he's joining us by phone. Thank you for the time, Mr. Prime Minister. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on, Lauren. Now, Brian Pallister's government is banning homegrown cannabis, despite your government's insistence it be allowed. He's also refusing to adopt your carbon pricing plan, saying Manitoba's is better. You've clashed over issues like health care funding and Churchill. If you're looking for progress in this afternoon's meeting, does this relationship not need some patching up first? Oh, I think there's there's a lot of things we agree on, and there's a lot of uh, focus that we have on uh, creating jobs and benefits for Manitobans. That's why, for example, we're uh, so pleased to be at this uh, Canada Goose announcement in uh, Winnipeg North of about uh, 700, up to 700 new jobs. Um, but on uh, on the big issues, uh, whether it's carbon pricing or uh, the regulation and legalization of cannabis, uh, we're we're moving forward together. There there are always going to be little differences of of opinion and approach, but the fact that he's taking uh, carb, uh, putting a price on carbon seriously uh, and moving forward as part of the pan-Canadian f- uh, framework uh, on uh, climate change, at least in the first few years. Uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about how it continues uh, later. Uh, and um, the moving forward on, on, uh, on the strict regulation of cannabis to protect our kids and protect our, uh, our communities, uh, these are things that we are going to find things to agree about. You're talking about moving forward with him on the carbon pricing plan, but it, it remains that he's defying your outlines that there be a $50 per ton uh, over the next four years. He's staying with $25 per ton. He's keeping it there. And you have said that's not enough. So what will you do going forward in the years ahead if Manitoba refuses to eventually meet your standards? Does this involve withholding transfer payments? I mean, what's, what's the possible punishment? 
Uh, Loren, how about we cross that bridge when we come to it? Right now, we're pleased that Manitoba has signed on to the uh, uh, carbon pricing framework. We we know that putting a price on pollution matters to Canadians, matters uh, in terms of protecting future generations, but also in terms of creating uh, good jobs in the in the new economy. And that's the kinds of things that uh, we agree on. As as I've said, uh, in the coming years, we'll keep talking about how uh, they keep pace with the rest of the country. But uh, we're pleased that Manitoba is part of uh, this national uh, approach to fight climate change. Mr. Prime Minister Greg Mackling here. Uh, Canadians waiting for a trade deal. President Donald Trump is, you know, he's warning of massive tariffs, threatening all sorts of uh, different actions that may cripple the Ontario economy, in particular with regard to the auto industry. Where do you draw the line? Uh, I've said uh, we're going to remain uh, focused on on negotiating in good faith, uh, in positive ways uh, around the table. There's obviously uh, uh, a lot of things said uh, from time to time, but uh, we're staying focused on the substance. I've made it very, very clear uh, that we will only sign a deal that is good for Canada. Uh, We will not sign a bad deal for Canada. And we've been very, very firm on uh, things like the need for uh, for Chapter 19, which uh, makes sure that uh, there's there's a third party dispute resolution mechanism that uh, makes sure that we're uh, protecting our cultural exemption uh, and uh, and uh, a various uh, variety of other things, including making sure we're protecting uh, our, our dairy farmers and supply management. So uh, there's, a, there's a range of things that we've, uh, we've been firm on and will continue to be firm on, but there's also uh, things that we're looking to be uh, flexible because it's time to update this deal after 25 years, and we're just going to stay uh, working constructively to get to that win-win-win that we know is there. So dairy seems to be the line in the sand, and you mentioned jobs for Manitoba, and so let me let me try and combine the, the two things. Dairy is a, an important industry in Manitoba, but so is manufacturing, and we have uh, one of the world's largest bus manufacturers, North America's leading bus manufacturers are here in Winnipeg, New Flyer and MCI. Is there any concern that the, those two uh, businesses in particular could get dragged into this with regard to NAFTA and, and the president's view on, on the auto sector in particular? Well, we we know that uh, if the president were to move forward with his uh, his punitive tariffs on on cars that he's uh, he's threatened, it would be devastating, obviously, to the Canadian uh, auto industry. But it would also be devastating to the American auto industry. It would cause a massive disruption, and and uh, I think uh, and lots of layoffs in the United States. Uh, I think it's it's something that uh, we obviously have to be aware that the president is contemplating. Uh, but uh, we don't. Negotiate, uh, you know, with uh, with uh, differently because of pressure tactics like that. We remain focused on what's in the interests of Canadians and uh, what's in the interest of of uh, our workers and our country's economy, and that's that's what we're going to stay focused on. So, you know, we're, there's a lot of back and forth at the table on different subjects, but ultimately, as I've been saying all along, uh, if uh, we sign the deal, it'll be because it's good for Canada and Canadians, and uh, if we don't sign the deal, it's because uh, no deal is actually actually better than a bad deal for Canada. Our guest this morning on The Start is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Prime Minister, it's Brett McGarry here. Now, there is concern, in many cases, anger in Western Canada. BC and Alberta are at odds with you over the pipeline, Saskatchewan refusing to buy into the carbon plan, and it's not too popular here either. I just posted on social media, what questions would you like us to ask the Prime Minister? And I quite frankly can't repeat many of them on the radio. So are you feeling a chill as you prepare to fly west this morning? 
Uh, no, I'm not. I was uh, I was just out in Alberta uh, last week, and uh, people were obviously uh, deeply disappointed with the court's decision, uh, as uh, as was I. Uh, but uh, they also understand that you can't get pipelines built by uh, ignoring uh, environmental concerns and by not engaging with Indigenous people. Quite frankly, Stephen Harper tried that for 10 years and couldn't get anything built uh, to get to new markets. And Canadians understand that we need, you know, understand both sides of this, in that we absolutely need to get our oil resources to other markets than the United States. Particularly now, we're seeing the uncertainties there, uh, how important it is to be able to get our oil to markets across the Pacific, which is why we need a pipeline. But they also know we have to be thoughtful about uh, climate change and future generations, and that means doing this right. So uh, we are going to continue to focus on doing it right. You know, the Conservatives have been criticizing us because we've done uh, uh, too much on the environment and too much in consultation and partnership with Indigenous peoples. The courts came back and said, you know what, you need to do a little bit more. We're going to do that more and we're going to demonstrate that you can get things built in Canada by doing things the right way. And that's, uh, that's yeah, that understandably people are frustrated about further delays, uh, but uh, we have to respect the courts and that's what we're going to do. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, in conversations with my friends across Western Canada, in Alberta in particular, we have these rolling pipelines that go through major cities every single day, down the Fraser River Valley. Uh, you know, uh, to me, it, do- it seems like a no-brainer that if we don't get this pipeline built, more gas, more oil is going to get moved by train. And there's nothing we can do about that. How is it that you can't sell this? How come we can't make this happen? To me, it's a no-brainer, pipeline versus trains. Well, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, listen, I'm 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 a Quebecer, and I saw Lac Mégantic uh, uh, up close, uh, and and just recently celebrated the fifth anniversary of that terrible tragedy. Uh, we know uh, that pipelines are a safe way to do it, and quite frankly, when you look at public polling, even in British Columbia, uh, people are uh, positive and understanding that we need to grow the economy and protect the environment together. We need to get our resources to new markets. Uh, the challenge is that we need to do it right, and when for ten years. We had a government that refused to do anything on the environment, do anything on uh, reconciliation. You can understand that people want to make sure that it's done the right way, and that's what we're focused on. I can understand the frustration and the lashing out, uh, but we are going to get that pipeline built in the right way because it's in the national interest. Uh, And it's not just about one pipeline. It's about all our energy uh, and, and infrastructure projects having a clear process that gets the approval in a timely way, gives certainty for business, uh, and does it in partnership and consultation with Indigenous people, with local communities, uh, and protects the environment at the same time. Mr. Prime Minister, I know you're tight for time. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to get in one final question before you have to go. And we've been talking about cannabis legalization, which is just over a month away. Uh, Manitoba, of course, has been an open critic of just how tight this timeline is and rolling it out in October. Law enforcement agencies are worried they might not be ready. And this morning we heard from the trucking industry saying that it needs further guidelines from Ottawa when it comes to workers in safety-sensitive positions. So time is running out. Can we expect further guidelines or even dollars to help uh, industry and police get through this in the weeks ahead? Um, we have we have invested massively in in strengthening police's ability to detect uh, in, in drivers under the influence, uh, and we're working with industry uh, on a broad range. But you have to understand that. This is currently happening. This is currently a challenge uh, that people are facing on our roads and in our community where uh, we're under a 
broken system, a system that doesn't work, of prohibition that allows our kids easy access to it, uh, that doesn't uh, properly uh, empower our police, bringing in a controlled and a regulated system is going to allow us to deal better with the problem. If they have the right tools, Mr. Prime Minister, though, there's been concerns that even the tools that are available to police aren't ready and up to standards that some don't even work in winter, which would be a huge problem in Manitoba. There have been lots of lots of discussions, and obviously uh, legalization is a process, not just a single event. Uh, and we're making sure that we're uh, we're giving uh, the right tools to people. And I'm uh, uh, pleased that we've been working for so long over the past three years with provinces uh, to get to this point, uh, and uh, we're now moving forward. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, thank you very much for the access and the time this morning. We appreciate it. It's, it's been a pleasure being on. Thank you very much. The Prime Minister joining us live from Ottawa. He will be in Winnipeg this afternoon making an announcement at Canada Goose, and he will also meet with the Premier. tell you there are times when uh, we reach out to government to ask questions that we think you want answers and, 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 and answers to these days we frequently receive a written statement versus a human being who is either paid with your tax dollars or someone whom is elected by you and paid with your tax dollars when we get a human voice live on the air which is obviously our preference We look forward to an honest exchange, one that usually includes one of us asking a question and hopefully the guest answering said questions. Yesterday, there was an announcement from the provincial government which reaffirmed a commitment made to the developers of True North Square by the previous government. I will let Richard Cloutier set that up. Without doubt, True North Square will make a difference to downtown Winnipeg. Last March, Winnipeg City Hall voted for up to $3.2 million in what's called tax increment financing for the $400 million project. The provincial government announcing today it will contribute just under $12 million in similar financing. Money is targeted towards public spaces, streetscaping, other enhancements for the sports and entertainment district downtown. Tax increment financing essentially reinvests money that would have been collected in taxes from these projects back into the projects themselves. Now, the previous government announced it would contribute $11.95 million to the project. Today, the Pallister government says, yes, we are in. Manitoba is open for business. But what has changed is that some of the dollars will be earmarked for the actual construction projects. The Minister of Municipal Affairs is Jeff Wharton, and Minister Wharton joins us now live on 680 CJOB. So Minister Wharton and Richard then exchange pleasantries, and Richard asks his first question. Good Monday afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us. Good Monday afternoon to you too, Richard. What percentage or actual dollar amount of that TIF will go to the street and public enhancements and which what will go into the tower and the Sutton Place development? All right, simple enough. Now the answer. Well, I can tell you, Richard, it is an exciting day for downtown Winnipeg, for sure. I mean, uh, this is great news, uh, uh, of course, a great investment, a private sector investment of over $550 million coming to downtown, uh, Richard. Great news for downtown and, of course, a significant impact economically for downtown as well. So, Richard resets the discussion by asking for something he felt he didn't get in the first go-round. So, to answer the question... 
Uh, what we're talking about here, Richard, is up to $11.95 million in TIF uh, will be provided, of course, for the development of True North Square. Public Plaza, of course, um, you remember our whiteout parties that we had uh, last spring during the uh, Jets run and the playoffs, and it'll certainly be hosting those as well, and green space and a water feature, a number of other areas that, that, that the TIF will be supporting, Richard. So that was a better answer. Now we move on to the next question. So how much goes to actual construction of the Sutton Place and Tower 2? Because that has changed from the previous government minister. Why did you make those changes? Because I'm already hearing whispers that you, the Pallister government, is helping to subsidize all those rich hockey players that are going to end up living in those very expensive condominiums. Well, I can tell you, Richard, too, that uh, with the uh, the Sutton Group coming to Winnipeg, again, an exciting time for uh, for Winnipeggers because, you know, uh, quite frankly, with the RBC Convention Center, uh, we need that hotel space, and uh, and this is going to be a great investment for Winnipeg and the RBC Convention Center. It's going to help with economic activity and development as we go forward, Richard, and uh, we're really excited about what uh, Sutton is bringing to the table. And to answer the question, Minister, how much will actually go into subsidize those private investments. Originally, this was supposed to be for public enhancements. What's the dollar figure that goes to help build True North Square Tower 2 in the Sutton Place? Do you have that number for us, sir? All right, so shall we try this again? One more time, Minister. Richard, I can tell you that this is tax incremental funding, financing. And TIF is simple. It's a very simple uh, um, uh, procedure, Richard. It, this is how it works. When uh, True North, or, or uh, let me give you an example, actually, of uh, give you an example of Simplot and Roquette, over $1 billion of private investment, Richard, coming to Manitoba in the uh, Portage Prairie and the RM Portage area. Again, that's securing $1 billion in private investment through a TIF. Richard, that's on, that TIF money is raised on incremental taxes that uh, would not have been there if the private investment didn't come to what couldn't agree Manitoba. with you more all right so how about one more try the good old college try but is there something in this deal that specifies how much tiff financing goes into sutton place and tower two of true north square minister simple question simple answer Look, Richard, we're totally, I, I, look, we're excited about today. And, and quite frankly, up to $11.9 million in TIF funding will be, for, will be provided. Uh, Richard, this is going to be a great, this is a great announcement already for Winnipeg and Manitoba. We're looking forward to better things to come. Congratulations, Minister Wharton, joining us live on 680 CJOB, answering none of my specific <laughs> questions. Uh, at least the minister knew exactly who was speaking with Brett. He used Richard's name no fewer than 13 times in that wow. interview. They raise interesting points, both of them. I mean, uh, they want to look at it like it's a good investment and it's going to help the downtown, which will be true. And True North, no question, has been a fabulous um, company for Winnipeg and a big backer and supporter of Winnipeg. The The point that's been trying to be made is what it, what's going to cost taxpayers? What are taxpayers getting back? What What is True North getting in the long run? And we've heard from the Taxpayers Federation saying they're going to file a freedom of information request because they need to get those answers. And if, if the minister's not going to get them, they're going to go with What is that, that $11 way. million dollars paying for? That's the question we want answered. headlines.
Province in Ontario this morning are scathing Loren McNabb, something about an opinion piece out of the Toronto Star. Yeah, one of them reads, Doug Ford is trampling on the rights of all Ontarians, while the Global Mail says he's challenging the rule of law itself. Itself, Hours after a judge struck down a law that would have shrunk the size of Toronto City Hall in half, Doug Ford came out to say he was invoking what's known as the notwithstanding clause and moving ahead with his bill to shrink City Hall there no matter what. Tasha Carradine is a host with 640 Toronto and joins us now. Thank you for taking the time, Tasha. Good morning, Lauren. Now, as I understand it, Ontario has never done this before. Can you help explain to our listeners what is the notwithstanding clause and why is this so unprecedented? The notwithstanding clause is Section 33 of the Constitution, and it's rarely invoked. It's been invoked about 15 times, mostly by Quebec over language laws. Also in Saskatchewan, uh, once the Yukon tried it too, back in 1982, I think it was. The reason it's used is when a government gets a court judgment against it that it wants to override. And uh, in this case, the override is of a decision that says you can't cut city council in half. Now, the law, like I said, it's been used before this section for things like labor disputes. Saskatchewan actually used it most recently when they had a labor, uh, another situation where they were told by a court you can't fund Catholic and non uh, kids who go to Catholic school who aren't Catholic. Things like that. Um, but this situation here is such a, I guess, a, a kick in the head to a lot of people because cutting Toronto City Council um, arguably is not an urgent priority. That's what the judge found. Essentially, that's what it came down to. So to use this clause for that um, is a little draconian, quite frankly. And I have to tell you, Tasha, when this the news came out that Doug Ford was presenting this legislation and this was going to happen, uh, I don't remember it. And I followed the Ontario election not rabidly, but certainly close enough. I think I would have remembered him promising and pledging to do this in his campaign. I don't think he ever did tell anyone that this was his plan. Is that is that accurate on my part? That's that's right. And that's partly why this thing seems like such a nuclear bomb, because it is something you, you don't pull out over nothing. It, it's usually used in a situation that uh, is very serious import, something that is necessary. The government deems so necessary it has to do. In this case, is it necessary to cut city council? I mean, no, Doug Ford did not talk about this. He did say, he did say that he was going to find savings in government, cut waste in government. So his argument here is Toronto City Council is wasteful. They take too long to debate things and uh, they have too many people on board. So save money, cut it in half. So by, let's say that he succeeds in this, does it, will it create chaos in Toronto City Hall in terms of just not enough people to do the job? I don't know if it will do that. Toronto did function with about 25 councillors um, until about 15 years ago. Uh, we had amalgamation in this city. It was amalgamated. There were six cities that were made into one. And then it was decided after that the wards were cut in half, essentially. And so you almost doubled the number of councillors that we had. So we did function before. The question is, can we function today? I don't think it'll be chaos but uh, it's certainly right now the election feels like chaos because this decision, you know, it went one way, cut the wards in half or doubled the size of the wards, cut the number of people running in half. Now all the people who are running before are told, hey, you're back in the race. Get your pamphlets out. I mean, if I was a candidate, I'd certainly be very confused. And voters, I think, will be, too. And of course, that election's October, so there's not a lot of time to yeah. sort this out. 
Not at all. And that's, I think, why he used the notwithstanding clause, because the three options were either do what the judge said and defer this till the following election or, you know, throw the dice, appeal it, see if you get a judgment in time for the election. Doug Ford doesn't want to deal with a big Toronto City Council that's left-leaning and goes against his wishes for the next four years. That is, I think, why this bill came forward in the first place, and that's why he dropped the notwithstanding clause yesterday. What are your listeners saying? Because he's been compared at times to you know having that sort of Donald Trump style before, and now he's gone ahead and used something that Ontario has never used before in a way that it kind of hasn't been used before. It's sort of an executive order style approach to this, right? Uh, if, if you it's will. A, it's a CEO approach. And in that sense, he is like Trump. I hate to say it. You know, I've given for the benefit of the doubt, but listeners like it. I'll be honest. My calls yesterday, people were saying this is good, good for him. You know, uh, stick it to the politicians. It's, it's, it's sort of the anti-politician theme that Trump campaigned on and continued as well. Uh, drain the swamp, what have you. So, yes, unfortunately, though, it's also very heavy handed. And in that sense, it's, it's you know, it's different issues than Trump is, is, is obsessed with. But Ford certainly seems obsessed with uh, micromanaging Toronto, where he was and his brother was mayor and he was sort of almost vice mayor. He, you know, he was a counselor. He advised his brother on everything. And it feels a lot. He's been harping on Toronto issues a great deal since he's been in office. A lot of people feel like he's trying to sort of stick it to Toronto now that he's premier. Tasha Carradine, host with 640 Toronto, our chorus affiliate. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Pleasure. Have a great day. Tomorrow, the Humboldt Broncos will have their first home opener game since the tragic crash that took the lives of many of their players and staff in April. And joining us this morning on 680 CJOB Global's Mike Armstrong. Mike, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Where have we joined you, by the way? Sitting in a hotel across from the arena, which uh, apparently is uh, sold out for tomorrow night, 6.30 local time. Uh, the building holds about 1,800 people, and they've apparently gone a bit past that, and they've been selling out uh, standing room tickets and things like that. So, in fact, it's actually it's going to be actually hard for some of the media to get in. They're having to limit it to one member of each sort of media outlet, and that's it because there's just so much demand to get into that arena tomorrow night. Mike, I know the team has already said they're not really sure what to expect beyond that big crowd tomorrow. What sort of what what are you feeling from town residents that you're talking to and from people in the hotel and in the mood as they turn into this new season and try to honor the past but move towards the future? Yeah, the way they're going to honor that uh, the past actually is kind of interesting. They're going to do it after the game as opposed to before the game. Uh, it's expected to be extremely extremely emotional. Uh, I'll tell you, we went up to the crash site yesterday. We just arrived yesterday, actually, and then the first thing we wanted to do was see that crash site, which is quite far. It's a couple hour drive away, uh, north uh, northeast of Humboldt. And we went up to that site, and there weren't many people that stopped. Uh, only one person. But I'll tell you. Um, the first question I asked him was uh, this gentleman, it was actually a trucker who pulled up and there's a, there's a big area for parking. And he pulled up behind the memorial and he got out and he took a few pictures and I said, can I ask you a couple of questions? And the first question I asked him brought him to tears and it was just, why'd you stop? And I, I don't even think I got a real answer. 
Um, it, and that, that was a gentleman from Medicine Hat, a trucker from Medicine Hat. So it just shows you everybody's deeply affected here. It's incredible. Hey, Mike, it's Greg here. And uh, Mike, you're a huge hockey fan. And this is obviously beyond a hockey story. But when you... You know, you look out your window and you see Alger Peterson Arena. We, we know what hockey means to Canada. The arena is the uh, unofficial, if not official, center of, of so many communities across our country. Talk about how you found out about this and, and how it affected you personally, if you don't mind, Mike. Yeah, well, um, I've got two kids that play all sorts of different sports and I've put them on buses. Um, my older son, I've put him on buses to play soccer. I've put him on buses to play hockey. I've put him on buses regularly recently to play football. Um, and so just like everybody else, uh, deeply, deeply affected. Um, we were supposed to come. Um, Barry Donnelly, the cameraman that I work with, and I, after that accident, we were woken up on the Saturday morning. And uh, anyway, they, we didn't end up going. And yet to watch it from, from Montreal all week was painful as it was for everybody else. And, and I'll, I wrote on Facebook this morning that uh, my son's football, my son had a football game on Friday night and the bus didn't show up. There was some confusion with the bus company. And so they ended up forfeiting uh, a game against their sort of heated rivals, if I can put it that way. And then you sit here and you sit in a hotel room across from the tragedy that happened here in Humboldt and you sort of think, wow. We put kids on buses all the time. We don't think twice about it. And I think ever since April 6th, uh, we think many, many times about it. There's not just the first home game tomorrow. There are those bus trips in the season ahead, Mike. Have they changed how they're going to do it? Or, or are they just moving forward with how, how it went last season? And the, and the kids will board the bus as usual. Yeah, they're not really changing it. Uh, the first couple of games in the preseason that they had, they actually flew to in, in Alberta. And then there was a game where they had to travel to... Uh, Saskatchewan and for that they actually got on the bus and and they're what the coach is saying um, the coaches are saying and the president is that they're going to have um, mental support there for the players and the coaching staff obviously um, not just for home games not just for away games but for the, that travel as well um, and it's it's got to be done I mean you can't even imagine there are three kids on this team that are from Humboldt uh, and there are two actually that are returning players um, we're going to be hearing from some of the players uh, today. The team's making some of them available. Uh, those returning players will not be made available. And obviously, this week, you, you can't even imagine what they're going through. Mike Armstrong, Global's Mike Armstrong, thank you for joining us this morning on CJOB. Mike joining us live today from Humboldt. The home opener is tomorrow, as we heard, sold out. They're selling standing room only seats or spots. I guess seats isn't uh, the word when it's standing room only to the point where they're having to limit the number of members of the media that are allowed into the arena. sweatshirt was absolutely a phenomenon, not only in Canada, but around uh, the world. Ash Moda joins us now. Mondetta is re-releasing that famous flag sweatshirt and uh, maybe a little bit of a twist as well. Ash, uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. Well, first good morning of all, okay. well, first of all, congratulations on this. this. is a huge story. I know you were at Fashion Week in New York over the weekend. We'll ask you about that. But 1987, tell us how uh, Mondetta started before we uh, talk about what's going on now. Yeah, so it, in fact, it was 1986. We started uh, 
believe it or not, uh, I was at the University of Winnipeg Collegiate and uh, Sean and Raj were at the university. And uh, uh, I came up with an idea of selling uh, t- um, business cards and, and promotional goods to to different companies, and and the first st- step we got was we uh, we got an order from the Uniter, the University of Winnipeg newspaper. They wanted to buy some T-shirts, and they said, you know, can you sell us some T-shirts? So we bought some T-shirts for five dollars. We screen screen printed their logo on it and sold it to them for seven fifty or something of that nature. And they sold them for twenty five bucks. And I said, wow, this is interesting. We sold them something for seven bucks, and they're selling it for twenty five. We should get into these clothing game. <laughs> And so believe it or not, that's kind of how we started. We we came out with the name Mondetta. Mondetta means small world. And at that time, we'd come up with the name, but really that was more of a, a the concept. But we started selling beach jams at uh, Grand Beach uh, in the uh, on in '87. Uh, the t- we were basically I had gone to Jamaica, saw a pair of uh, this the really neat little old lady sell, uh, creating a, a basically a beach uh, pant and a beach jacket, and she would customize it to your size and and it would be in cotton. I thought, wow, this is super cool. We should bring this to, to the beaches of Grand, uh, to Winnipeg. And so we went to Grand Beach, and we got a cart, and we started selling this. And that's how we kind of first got our start. Uh, and, and then it, it kind of, uh, the, the name Mondetta continued to grow. And then in that year, we, uh, I was driving down the street, and I saw this uh, Volkswagen Jetta with, a, with a, uh, the front license plate was a, the German, German flag. And as you know, at that time, we didn't have a front license plate. So... I thought, wow, this would be really neat. We should build a sweatshirt like this with a flag on the front, with the call letters on the back, emblazoned with Mondetta, and sell it to different different customers. But let's make it a fashion item rather than a than a souvenir. And so we kind of went through the whole gamut and got some agents, and they kind of kept telling us, you know, make this silkscreen it. We can sell it to to airport stores. And we said, that's not the idea here. The idea is to turn it into a fashion item. We kind of held our ground, and and what had happened was. It's interesting. Everything kind of came together. The whole uh, flag, uh, I mean, the, at that time, Apparel Champion and, and Tommy Hilfiger and all those brands were starting to become big. And they had been using product with big logos on the front. And a lot of people were going to sporting goods stores to buy Champion and buy logoed goods like the NHL jerseys and NFL jerseys. And we came out with this flag sweatshirt and we started selling denim sh- stores. So it became the hookup for denim. And that's kind of how we got our start. And it just blew up from there and it became the social fashion. Mondetta, it's such a popular name when I was in high school. I want to be clear, you were what, 16, 17 when this initiative started? Yeah, I was 16 and then I, we kind of kind of blew up when I was about 19 and we started, you know, <laughs> traveling all over the place trying to figure out where to make these things and sell them and it was kind of a neat experience and now it's kind of 33 years later and I getting old and haggard. (laughs) So uh, one thing that came with Mondetta, and Greg, I'm sure can uh, corroborate this for me. Uh, I seem to recall the Mondetta Club at the Forks. Mondetta World Cafe. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's correct. Is that coming back? Uh, No. No, that's not coming back. So what is coming back? Walk walk us through what we're doing now, because you, it was 2000 that... This sort of all, I don't want to say folded, but ended. And then now you're, you're, the resurgence is based on what idea? So, so believe it or not, we've been around for 33 years. And, and we, we've just been a different business over the last 33 years. In, in, the, uh, in the late 90s, uh, uh, we, we uh, got an injection from Cocos Investment Fund, re, redeveloped the business. We, we have a private label division. We have three different divisions in the company. The company's 10 times larger than it was in, in, in the early 90s. But uh, 
it, it's just a different business. We, we build product and design product for the biggest brands and biggest companies in the world. Right here in Winnipeg, we have 120 staff and some of the most talented individuals who work right here in, in, the, in the city. And we also have offices in Asia and in, and in uh, New York and, and in, the, in the U.S. The idea is now, what happened was in, in the uh, late 90s, we stopped building the Mondetta flagged flag product and we went more into active apparel with the mpg brand this is when lululemon had just started in the in the late 90s early 2000s and uh, the running room jason stan from the running room said you know i'm a huge fan of mondetta can you guys make me some technical product that we can sell to our to our uh, the customers coming in here because they're buying product for everyday use they're wearing it at yoga they're wearing and at that time no one even knew what yoga was it was kind of this thing that uh, fringe and no one was really doing it that much and and really, that whole athleisure, uh, the concept of athleisure started in the early 2000s, and it really became big in, in the um, 2006, 2007. And so we were in that space for many years, and we got a massive leg up, and we were doing product for retailers and also our own brand under the MPG brand, which is now sold in, in Canada, the U.S., and, and globally. And, and from that, we, we continue to build on that brand. And now what we're seeing is, the resurgence of, of those those old old retro brands, and we're one of those retro brands. So about two years ago, people started asking us if we could bring back the flag sweatshirts, and we thought if we do it this time, we're going to do it right, and we're going to make sure that we can control our destiny on this thing rather than just letting it turn into a runaway train. So what, what we've done now is we've, we've started with MondettaOriginals.com, which is the website, and then, and then we're now just selling to some key retailers as we go, expand across, across the U.S. and Canada. Ashmoda, one of the founders of Mondetta, one of the great Winnipeg success stories. We're celebrating the relaunch of the flag sweatshirt that took them to, to prominence. And, and Ash, I confess I only owned one of your sweatshirts. I have a couple of sweat jackets and some of the MPG uh, stuff that you're talking about. Those garments are outstanding. But you combined my love uh, and affection for uh, you guys and my love and affection for the Winnipeg Jets. You had a limited line of, of Winnipeg Jets apparel and, and, and and that really struck a chord with a lot of people here back in the mid nineties. That's correct. Yeah. We did this really neat uh, limited edition product just before the jets left. And uh, that's product. In fact, it's so hard to find There's, I know there's collectors who, who sell some of, we, we made a limited edition leather jacket. I think we only made 50 of them at that time. And uh, I think the Barry Shankro and a few of them still have them, but yeah, that was one of the key, key items in, and th- that product was phenomenal, and it, it, it did so well. It's uh, we've now started to re-collaborate with the Winnipeg Jets. We did a program with them about two years ago, and uh, I'm sure now with these flag sweatshirts back, we'll probably definitely do something. The the flag sweatshirts this year have a t- this time have a twist on them. They are not just the fl- flags from from yes uh, that we were doing in the past. Now you can actually customize. So we have seven countries that we started with: Canada, USA, Great Britain, Fran- uh, sorry, Italy. Um, and uh, uh, EU, and the idea now is you can actually customize them with 200 different flag patches that you can put on the sleeve. And so this is the new twist. So you can have, like, for example, my shirt is a Canadian shirt with the Ugandan flag on the on the sleeve because I came from Uganda. So if I go to your website, then uh, Mondetta is it dot com? No, it's MondettaOriginals.com. Mondetta Originals. So I, can I go to that website and buy the flag sweaters right now? Yeah, they're on sale right now and, and ready to ship. So we're already started, and the, it launched on August 15th. 
And for those of us who have multi, you know, different backgrounds, if my flag, for example, would need the Irish, Scottish, French, Canadian. How, how many flags can I put on? So you can put the one flag on, but you can buy multiple flags and you can sh- switch them and change them. They, they button, button right onto the sleeve. So, so you can change it. We have uh, nine, 198 different flags, and then we do the pride flag. We do the uh, peace flag. We do different flags of that, that nature. All right, Ash Moda, congratulations on uh, relaunching the flagship flag sweaters for your brand. That's really exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at the website right now, and, man, it's like kind of going back in time. Mm -hmm. And watch Beverly Hills 90210. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're talking. You guys will indulge me for a couple of minutes here because as I was putting this together this morning, I got more and more excited about the fact that this is happening. The concert announcement that we are about to bring you to Club Region Event Center, December 19th at 8 p.m., Michael Bolton. Hits, right? Had to go with the. Is this SNL? Who did this? Oh, turn it back up for it, Jay. Alan Tortuga. Hang on, that's probably about all you can play, right? Without some heavy-duty editing. Yeah, there, uh, there's some significant editing that would have to go on. But yes, Michael, Bo- that's from the Lonely Island. Seven years ago, the Lonely Island, Andy Sandberg and the boys uh, got Michael Bolton to come in. So they're oh, doing this man. song about being at the club and doing drugs and shooting people and, you know, getting girls. And then he jumps in and starts singing about Captain Jack Sparrow. But on a serious note, just listen to some of these hits, like from the late 1980s through the early 1990s, this man could do no wrong and i think we all came to the conclusion that this was our personal favorite no that's not it hang on a second no that is not it this one yeah this one will fade itself down forte his voice is so majestic it is a nice voice here it comes Such a romantic sentiment. <laughs> so that, there's that tune. And then I played a snip of this one, How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? No, I don't really like that one. But how about this one? Oh. Remember this? I forgot about this. Yeah. Here comes the name of the song. So now get on Facebook and find your high school girlfriend <laughs> or boyfriend and invite them to this concert. Or how about this one? I, I just discovered that Terry Hatcher is in this video. Yeah. Terry Are they Hatcher. all love songs for Michael Bolton? Well, how about this one? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> but yeah, Michael Bolton, the uh, greatest hits and holiday favorites, December 19 at 8 p.m. Club Region Event Center. Tickets on sale Thursday at Ticketmaster and just for fun. Yeah, I've seen them put your hands in the air and say hell yeah. Come on. Captain Jack. What? Johnny Depp. No. From the front to the back, say we count stacks. Come on. David Jones. Giant Square. Oh, Michael Bolton, we're really gonna need you to focus up. Roger that. Let me try with another film. Wait. Wait. Chocolates in my name. 
One of these days we have to get a camera in the morning meetings at 4 a.m. because when Brett starts putting audio together and giggling to himself in the corner, (laughs) you know you're in for something good. He's up to no good. (laughs) And Michael Bolton's got a great sense of humor. He might very well play that song. He put it on his Netflix special. He did like an unplugged version, sat at the piano and sang the ballad of Jack Sparrow. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.